I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Hey, everybody. It's Lisa Stone, and I am here with my son, Morgan. Morgan, say hey. How's it going? <laughs> Morgan is up in San Jose. I'm down in San Clemente, which is in Southern California. And um, Morgan, you know, we've talked about doing this before, and we just never did it. There was a period of time where I didn't feel like it was a good idea to do it. Now it seems like a good idea. And um, I'm really excited that that you were willing to come do this with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, sure. Hey, hang on one second. Dad's phone's ringing. All right. I'm turning that off. Um, so can you tell everybody kind of your story of how you started playing tennis just, you know, in the neighborhood and your earliest memories of playing tennis? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't remember that much of it. Like it was so early. Uh, I mean, I was really young. I remember I was playing multiple sports. I was playing soccer, then baseball. Uh, and then one summer, I think you guys put me in tennis camp in the neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. and I liked it more than the other sports that I was playing. Uh, and I seemed to be better at it naturally. So just kind of ran with that. There wasn't and, too much to it. <laughs> well, and you started playing, I don't know if you remember this, but you played on um, an Alta team in the neighborhood, an eight and under team when you started. And I think you were six when you first yeah. played. And that was kind of your first foray into tennis competition. It was very low key. But yeah. do you have any memories of that? Yeah, I honestly had forgotten about that. But yeah, I do remember playing on a team with... Uh, with a couple of the guys in the neighborhood who ended up being on like the high school team, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what I liked most about it was I was coming out of like soccer and baseball, which were team sports. And it would always piss me off when, you know, we'd lose because people did stuff that I would like, if I was performing and we would still lose, that made me mad. Or, you know, if we won and, you know, other people weren't doing anything. I was just annoyed. Um, so I kind of liked the the kind of solo uh, aspect of tennis, where if you lost, it was on you. If you won, it was on you. Yeah. Yeah. And so the summer that you turned, I, th- I think it was, a, you were nine, you got invited by one of your buddies to go to UGA tennis camp. Can you talk a little bit about that experience or your memories of, of your summers at UGA? Yeah, they were good. Um, I mean, that's probably what fueled uh, the kind of desire to play college tennis initially. Um, we would just go and we'd stay in the dorms for a couple weeks or it was a week or two. I forget how long it was. A week. Um, a week. And then uh, so we'd stay in the dorms. Um, you know, we'd wake up early, go work out, go to the main cafeteria on campus, you know, you're in the middle of all these college students. Uh, We'd go and work out on the UGA tennis courts um, for a couple hours. We'd had a break, work out again and go hit again. It was like an intense workout, intense tennis regimen for a nine-year-old looking back, but it was fun at the time. 
um, for sure. And that's what kind of fueled it. And you came back from that first summer at Georgia saying, I want to play college tennis. I want to play at Georgia. I want to start playing tournaments. And I had no idea how to make that happen for you. And so we ended up um, finding a coach for you that could kind of guide us on that process, get you ready to play tournaments and, and all of that. Do you have any memories of those first years at the Riverside Club with Noel and Grant and Brian? Yeah, and Tony, right? Uh, Tony later? came later. He, I mean, later? he was there, but he came later, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cliff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was so long ago. Um, I guess well, you were was, little. Yeah, what's what's kind of the question like just memories in general or like yeah i mean do you remember kind of that whole time of you know okay now i'm not just taking one lesson a week in the neighborhood on the courts but i'm going to like this organized program where these kids are playing tournaments and um melanie dan was training there i mean there were people you know kids that were older than you doing some pretty high level stuff with their tennis do you have any memory of that and you know, kind of how that inspired you or, or didn't. I'm not necessarily sure it inspired me, but it was probably the first environment. I, I mean, it was the first environment I had been in where people were kind of like taking everything very, very seriously. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I had a lot of problems there, to be honest. <laughs> uh, like I just kept getting into it with people because they're they're like guys older than me who had been playing for you know years before me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like on the same court with them, and there were a lot of issues. I just remember that mainly. Like, I, I don't, if there's something specific, I don't know, but just in general, it's kind of tough. Well, I think at that point was kind of the first time for me that I got pretty seriously involved with your tennis too. And you have two older sisters and each of them had gone through different interests that, you know, being the the parent at home most of the day, I was the one that ended up usually taking y'all to whatever practice or lessons or whatever. And I feel like when you moved over to Riverside, that was kind of the first time where it was a pretty much everyday thing after school. We'd you know, load up the car, drive over to the courts and you would train and I would hang out and you started playing tournaments and yeah, the coolers of food and drinks and crazy concoctions. I remember that. Yeah. And snacks. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, at that point is when you started playing tournaments and you and I started having some intense together time, whether yeah. it was a local tournament or traveling around, um, what are some of your memories of kind of that time together? Cause it wasn't always, you know, happy and we didn't always get along perfectly. I mean, we definitely had our conflicts from time to time, but you know, when you talk to friends of yours who maybe didn't grow up with a focus, like you grew up with, do you see a difference in, your relationship with me and dad versus maybe some of your friends and, and their relationships growing up with their parents are not so much. I mean, yeah, uh, definitely. I think, you know, I'm way closer with you guys than any of my friends are with their parents. Um, that's blatantly obvious, but you know, 
I think whether it was tennis or something else, it was still going to happen. You know, obviously you and I spent a freakish amount of time together doing the tennis stuff, (laughs) but I I think whether it was like, if I, if I got into drums earlier, if I, you know, stuck with soccer or or baseball, like it would have happened regardless. Um, So, I I mean, yeah, we spent a lot of time together, which for sure, like, I don't know, it kind of created more of like a, it was an interesting dynamic because we, we tried to play it as like friend dynamic. It was very split. Like part of the time we were, we were more of friends and then the other time you guys would be trying to lay down authority. And I think that's probably why it was such an issue to do that because the other half of the time, you know, we were on a kind of a friend level versus, you know, the hundred percent authority all the time. If you could rate our parent-child relationship on a scale of one to 10, like in terms of being a good tennis parent or a really terrible tennis parent, where do I fall? Be honest. As a tennis parent or as a parent? As a tennis parent first. Uh, I mean, looking back, probably a 10. But, in, you know, in the, moment? in the moment, like I hated you sometimes for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you were you were intense, but it, it's not like it's not like you were asking anything that was crazy, except for like, you know, later when I really hated it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the times, like it was just a matter of trying to hold me to stuff that I said I was going to do. And like looking back at your actions were probably derived from the fact that you were spending an ungodly amount of time, you know, putting your own effort and your own time into it as well. And it wasn't, you know, I was putting a lot of it as well, but you know, you as a parent were doing a lot too. So it, it kind of justifies some things, but like so, overall, I would say like, yeah, looking back, like some people had it terrible. Some people like I grew up with people whose parents would smack them after a match, you know, like that never happened with us. Like you guys we would yell at each other but it was just because we were both invested. So yeah, I would say 10 as a tennis parent. <laughs> and as a parent parent, <laughs> dare I ask? <laughs> o- overall or, or yeah. at times? No, overall. <laughs> overall, I'll give you, I'll give you a, like, I don't, okay. If you want to, if you want to be like completely honest, I'd give you like a nine point, you know, two for a tennis parent. <laughs> and I'll give you like a, a nine point five a 9.7 for a parent okay yeah but there were times i would have i would have told you like a two yeah oh for sure yeah Yeah. so okay so you came up in tennis you at first you were like all in you loved it you want to play at georgia you were like invested i remember um the summer before your sophomore year of high school i think um we went to davis cup in austin and you had just switched coaches right before we did that. You were moving over to Old Town. And um, while we were in Austin, you spent some time training at Austin Tennis Academy. And like Andy Roddick was your, your big hero at that point. Um, and so we got to go and see Andy compete in Davis Cup in Austin. That was pretty exciting. Shortly after that, though, I feel like there was a shift and you kind of, 
started not loving tennis so much. And in fact, maybe started hating tennis, but I wasn't really aware of that. Um, do you, do you know what caused that shift for you? Did you feel burned out? Did, were there other things tugging at you for your attention and your time or was it something else? Do you have, do you remember what the triggers were? The biggest trigger was when y'all gave me the ultimatum of having to go to Spain. Like that, that was a was, year later though. Okay. That was the biggest trigger. What killed the passion for it though. That okay. was like, okay, I'm not doing this for me anymore. Um, but before that, I mean, it's probably just getting older and, you know, talking to people who weren't doing a crazy commitment like that and realizing that it wasn't, you know, that great. I was just in my bubble and, you know, there was a world outside of it. And, you know, every time I wanted to be a part of something, I couldn't because of tennis and it pissed me off. So I, I hated not having the freedom that other people had. Mm -hmm. um but yeah i would say at that point i was like i was aware but i didn't start like hating it until y'all sent me to spain that was it that was the turning point for you yeah you came back from that trip and that next year was pretty rough um but but you were still committed to wanting to play tennis in college and you after that Spain trip was when we started coming out to California more and you got connected with some of the coaches out here and some guys out here that you would hit with. And that seemed to kind of re-spark things for you. And am I remembering that right? I mean, kind of, um, not necessarily, I mean like a little bit tennis wise, but mainly just like the, the ability and, and kind of, the realization that it could take me to where I was when I was actually enjoying it. Uh, you know, like every, every situation that you're thinking of right now, when I was in California, looking at schools and hitting with people, you know, say it right there. I was in California. I was with, you know, people that I got along with and people that, you know, weren't just little tennis freaks all the time. Um, so yeah, it, it was more enjoyable to be in that environment and play tennis. It but it was still like whenever I'd come home, I wasn't very happy with it still. Right. But you seemed happy out and here. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like switching academies too. like, it was, it was way less intense uh, at old town, you know, like we were at a different stage. So, you know, if I was younger and moved there, I probably would have said it was more intense, but mm -hmm. given where I was and who was there with me, like the whole kind of environment of it was way less intense. And so it was easier to enjoy. So you did enjoy it while you were there. Cause you had friends there. I, hung out. Sorry. There were people you went to school with and right. I enjoyed, I enjoyed being in that environment, not necessarily the social tennis. piece of it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, and so, okay. And the summer before, you were going to college, you came out to California for a couple months and um, one of your buddies came out with you and y'all hung out and then it was time for college. And I don't really want to focus so much on your college recruiting process because you covered that pretty well with Eddie in your podcast last week, which I've shared everywhere. So for people interested in hearing more about that, they should go listen to that podcast, but because um, y'all did a great job. One of the things that that I found interesting was your, you had to choose a major when you went off to college 
And I would love to hear like what your thought process was around choosing a marketing slash business major and what you at the time you were entering college and had to declare a major, what you thought you were going to do with that. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't too much thought around it. It was more that, you know, I was I was already in the recruiting process and I I had never been a school person and wasn't thinking about school at all. And like, so I didn't, I didn't really put too much of my own kind of research into what I could do with it. It was more so everybody above me. Like I hung out with older guys who were about to be going to college or who were already in their first year of college, whatever. And like 90% of them were business majors and said, you know, that kind of left the door open to do whatever they wanted. Um, which, you know, now looking back, it, it makes sense because none of us really knew anything besides tennis at the time you know so uh sorry there's bees around here (laughs) Uh, don't get stung (laughs) yeah um so i mean it it was mainly just uh to to kind of put off really finding out what i wanted to be doing um it, it it looked like the option that would leave the most doors open moving forward and you knew, I mean, there was never a point that I can remember where you said, I want to play tennis professionally. Um, right. You, yeah, I mean, you, know, you yeah, stuck your was, toe in it. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was no, there was no aspiration to be pro except for maybe a minute when I was younger. Um, but I mean, I played a pro tournament and got slaughtered. So I, I realized there was no chance in hell of getting money from it. And so wasn't going to continue after college. And I wanted to be able to make money after college. So I think the business degree kind of just, again, left the most doors open. Right. Your senior year, you you transferred twice during college. Again, you talked about that in your podcast with Eddie. Um, you transferred twice. And after your sophomore year, you actually stopped playing tennis in college and just focused on getting through and graduating. I won't say you focused on your schoolwork because – School, like you said, that was never a, a huge priority, but graduating was a big priority. And yeah. getting that degree seemed to be a priority. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, I mean, not necessarily priority. It was just like I had to get it done to get to my priorities. Like I couldn't move forward if I wanted to get to the things I actually wanted to do. So, so I mean, kind of. So you saw it as a necessity. Yeah, it was a necessity. It wasn't it. a desired priority. Got it. And and I will say that I did focus on school a lot during my sophomore year because I was taking so many classes at Boise State trying to get into San Jose State under the radar. Right. So I was probably focusing more on school than tennis that, that year, to be honest. Well, you took a ton of courses and a ton of hours yeah. and um, and you know, really got creative about how to get yourself back to Southern California where, or not Southern California, back to California, to the Bay where you wanted to be, which I thought was really admirable. And, you know, you, you had a plan and you executed your plan and you did your research and you got people in your corner to help you achieve that goal of getting back to the Bay. Once you got back to the Bay and, and I didn't really think that at the time though. Right. No, I think, I think by the you guys were not in favor of me moving until like February when I had everything in place and told you how bad it was. 
Yeah. No, no, no. I, yes. Um, at first we didn't, we weren't so supportive. We weren't not supportive, but we weren't, we were just kind of taking a back seat and letting you drive the bus at that point, which you did very well. I mean, you took control of it and figured out what you needed to do to get where you wanted to be and made that happen. Once you got back to the Bay though, once you got to San Jose state and were you know, trying to focus on getting through school. Um, it became time to start thinking about a job after college. When you first started kind of thinking about what am I going to do after I graduate and I don't have to be in class every day, how did you decide what jobs to start looking at? Uh, well, I was, what was I looking at initially? I think I was initially just looking up like market stuff um, and cause that was my, that was my major. Um, but I wasn't finding anything that was like of appeal. And, you know, when I did interviews for them, they were actually just like kind of in-person sales stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the marketing ads just kind of bait you by saying marketing when really in reality, they're like stand in front of Costco and sell stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And at that point, you know, I was back in California. I was already kind of making music. Um, We're going to talk about actually, the music in a second. Well, right. But that kind of connects to what kind of jobs I was looking for. Um, because, you know, I got into the weed industry. Uh, I, I worked as a bud tender at a, at a dispensary for a year and a half, mm-hmm. um, which was partially due to the fact that it gave me a ton of freedom. And, you know, the work environment wasn't stressful. I could, you know come home and not have work to do. I could come home and all my creative juices were still flowing. So I was actually looking into the cannabis industry a lot. I had like three or four interviews with different places. And so that's where you thought you wanted to be. And, and even I wanted, I wanted to do like marketing for the cannabis industry. And that's what I was initially looking at when I moved in and later didn't work out as you know, but that was kind of the goal was to get in. And I saw it as kind of a, industry that was going to go up. So, And so when that didn't pan out, now you're working in the tech industry. And uh, I, I, do you call Yuja? Is Yuja considered a startup? I don't, I don't really know yeah. the terminology. I mean, technically, yeah, it'd be a startup, but so, by no means are we small. So, Right. And you're doing sales for them. And I'm interested to hear your take on when you were going through the interview process for these different jobs, you know, you've, you've shared with us that it, on your resume, it said that you played division one college tennis and that would come up in your interviews. Can you talk a little bit about how that looked? Um, what kinds of things you were asked and how those conversations went? Yeah, it was definitely the main talking point of most of my interviews um, that in the, in initially before like music took off, it was the main point, but it still like came up later too. Um, it was mainly the first question. Oh, so you played division one tennis, uh, you know, how'd that go? And I would be straight up and tell them it went like shit. Uh, sorry, but, uh, which kind of like, I feel like established kind of a sense of trust between me and the interviewer because they're like, Oh, okay. Kind of taken aback. Um, and you know, I was kind of, I was interviewing in the cannabis industry where people, you know, who 
drop out of high school can get into. So it, it was definitely a main talking point. It asked me kind of what I took away from that, what was my experience like, and then they would talk about like any team stuff that I would have to overcome or you know any difficult point in you know in those years that I would have to overcome or anything that it taught me. Yeah. And what were your answers? Uh, when they would ask me what was difficult about it, I would say, you know, being in a place I didn't want to be in. Um, uh, you know, when they'd ask me what I learned from it, probably the the relationship building the most um, is what I would talk about. Uh, just because we started the recruiting process super early, and I feel like just kind of growing up in the household that I did, it was mainly focused on oh, if you want something develop a relationship and you know get it that way um and so i I talked a lot about the ability to kind of sell myself and my tennis abilities um and how that could translate to either selling weed or selling educational technology Um, (laughs) kind of opposite ends of the spectrum but hey i mean i mean it does like the, the college recruiting process for tennis i mean if you're not a blue chip, you know, you're, you're having to sell yourself if you're trying to get to the top schools, um, you know, as a four star, a high four star, but you know, the schools I wanted to go to, it was mainly me initiating and me checking in and me following up as opposed to being chased after, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so talked about kind of the relationship building and kind of the ability to sell my, my skills and my abilities. And now that you are in a sales position, do you feel like you've even, you know, that, that you've tapped into those experiences to help you be successful? Cause you're having really good success at your job. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily attribute my success in my job to tennis at all. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I, I just think it's something well, I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the, what you were talking about marketing yourself as a recruit. Now you're marketing a product. It's not you, but it's, it's you doing the marketing. Yeah. I don't, I I feel like that was just more of an end to get the job. Like it's more of, I, I hope bosses don't watch this, but I mean, if you played a college sport, use it to your advantage manipulate that conversation in the interview and make it seem like you know you took away a whole bunch even if you know didn't necessarily so i i really don't think it's helping my, me and my job at all like i don't think that translates i feel like there's some areas of sales that are i don't know and i haven't worked in sales in a really long time but where you know, there's a lot of rejection involved in sales. I mean, you're on the phone most of your work day, you know, making phone calls and getting people either not answering or hanging up or saying no. Um, anytime you're in a competitive environment, I mean, you you definitely had streaks in your junior tennis years where you weren't winning very much and, you know, having to have that resilience to come back and train the next day or play the next tournament um, to me seems similar to being in a sales position where you're getting hung up on or told no and having to pick up the phone and make that next call. So maybe it's not directly related, but I mean, it's know. just a decision to want to make more money. 
personally. And to be successful, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're there to be successful, so you're going to do what it takes to make that happen. I would say I'm I'm competitive, but like I, I was competitive before the tennis too. So, you know, you think you came out that way? It's just yeah. in your DNA. I think being placed in our house with you know all the all the factors probably made me quite competitive from birth and being the youngest being the youngest given a girl's name raised <laughs> raised in the south <laughs> like it made me pretty competitive for sure yeah you've always been kind of feisty i will say that <laughs> so let's talk about your music because that's your passion and you know i remember when you were younger and you would talk about your goals with tennis and and the adults that I was in contact with that weren't in the tennis world would say, Oh, how cool that he's got this goal and he's so young and he's willing to put the work in toward that goal. And you've always been very goal oriented. I feel like you've, you know, identified something that you wanted and you've put the effort in and gone after it. So for a while it was tennis, then it stopped being tennis somewhere along the way, probably your freshman year of college transitioning into your sophomore year of college um, where you really got into the music stuff. I mean, I know the passion went away before that, but you were still working for it for a while. Um, During your sophomore years, when you discovered your passion for music and you had kind of this fluky thing happen with a song. Do you want to talk about that a little bit with Yari? Yeah, so that was actually my junior year that that happened. Um, so oh right, you were back in the bay. Yeah, I, I like started started like making mixes and DJ stuff and like learning learning how to DJ and and you know should I actually get a show in the future be able to be prepared for that for a few months. But I mean that's all it takes to become a DJ is just you know a few months practice and then you realize if you actually want to take it anywhere, got to get into the music side. Um, so that came more on the junior year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was, I was making music. It was, it was, it was decent. It was technically wrong. You know, I wasn't doing anything by the rules cause I didn't learn anything. I was just kind of self, you know, teaching everything myself. Um, but yeah, one night I, I was, you want me to like be fully like transparent here or what? I, um, you can edit a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to just say I was, I was sitting in my room about to, you know, take a bong hit, uh, you know, living uh, in California where it was legal. Let's just, you know, yes. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, and it was a big glass piece. And when I pulled the bowl out, it was like, I had just cleaned it. So it was fresh. And when I pulled the bowl out of it, it made a crazy sound. And so I was literally about to smoke. And then I decided to record the sound instead and I, like, over the course of the next, like, four hours, made a, made a song after sampling the sound of the bong stem a couple different ways um, and posted it on Twitter, and it blew up and got, like, millions of views and stuff. So the music well, kind of took off. Okay, but let's back up a little because the process of that was what was so interesting to me watching from across the country at the time. So you posted the first thing where was just the sound, right? Yeah. And yeah. 
And you built a whole social media campaign around that. It wasn't just you posted yeah. that and then you posted a song. So talk about that process because that's what's so fascinating to me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it was actually kind of like a a few day, but it consumed. It was like a few day process, but it consumed like the next three weeks of my life, and you know, every other aspect of my life kind of floundered during that for the first time. Uh, the, I posted the initial video and it like instantly blew up. And so this was, you know, I don't know when it was like 8 PM, 9 PM at night and it started to take off. And then I think the next day it was like really blown up. So I was like, okay, I should probably finish this. Um, and so I was, I was replying to literally every single comment, uh, that people were posting like if you go back and look at that that original video there's not a single comment that i missed to reply to and you know i i'd seen other people on socials do it and you just like when you're getting that traction you got to make sure it sticks so uh you know as i was saying it kind of happened early it the music stuff took off earlier than it should have based on where my skill was um so that kind of lit the fire under me to kind of build a whole brand around it like I'd already I'd already technically created the brand the stone brand whatever but it wasn't anything like I had no following I didn't I don't think I had a I guess I had a logo but there was no real theme or anything at all at that time um but that kind of had that kind of initiated the pressure to um so I kind of I replied to every single person I was plugging my SoundCloud to every single reply uh over the next like 24 hours, I guess I finished the song. Uh, it's produced terribly. Uh, like I'll never play it out, but, <laughs> but uh, you were posting snippets all along the way too. Right. There were, there was like two or three snippets over the course of like 24 hours. And at that point it was already huge. So I decided to release it literally in the middle of the night at like four 20 in the morning. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that was kind of that process. But I mean, since then, I kind of, I, I don't know, how, how deep do you want me to go into that? Go. I mean, I think, I think the whole process is really fascinating. And, you know, I think your, I know you don't attribute it to your tennis and maybe it's, it's simply a personality trait of yours rather than being due to any activity you participated in. But I was blown away at your ability to really parlay that initial interest in what you were doing into a, an entire social media campaign and a brand and to get yourself invited to perform. I mean, it, it went from, you know, my kids fiddling around on a computer with music, making these songs that I don't really understand to all of a sudden, you know, this big following on social media. I, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, sorry. Nova's like on a bench. Oh. That, that is not stable. Nova, get okay. off there. <laughs> Nova's the dog, for those of you not familiar. <laughs> the drugged up dog after surgery, standing on things that wobble. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So after that happened, it was kind of, I realized like I could let it slide or I could fake it till I make it. Because, you know, the main thing. I was getting a ton of new followers, a lot of traction and everybody was like asking me where to find my music and what other songs I had out and yada, yada. And like, 
I didn't have anything. Like I had no finished songs. I had never played a show. I had like, wasn't in the industry at all. I had no connections with people. Um, but every time somebody would ask, I would be like, yeah, you know, it's got stuff coming out soon. Like, yeah, I'll, like, Oh, you want me to come there? Like, yeah, I'll talk to your promoters. Like get me out there, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and just kind of faked it. till I made it. And, um, you know, in doing that, there was a, a girl out in Canada who like found that video. It was really like a couple weeks later, found that video, um, and was asking me if I ever played shows in Canada. And I was like, no, but I would love to. Um, and she's like, oh, well, actually, my friends are throwing a festival here. Um, like, if you'd be down to play, I can, I can plug, a, plug your stuff to them. And I was like, yeah, great. Like send, like, send them over my information. And, like, if it works out, like, we can talk. And I was just kind of, like, playing it cool. Um, and she actually set it up to where they booked me to play that show up in Canada, um, which was an opportunity to get content, you know, in the, in the music industry, if you don't have the persona online, you're basically screwed. Like there's no way for you to get your name out otherwise. And in order to do so, you have to have stuff out there that looks like, you know what you're doing. Um, so we got a bunch of, uh, photos and videos taken of the setup there, like hyped it up on socials, like made it out to be way bigger than it was, uh, and it worked, you know, people like hopped on the train, like people are sheep. That's just how it works. Um, so yeah, it's, since then it's been kind of a steady, a steady flow of, you know, establishing relationships and actually putting out good music and getting recognized and playing legitimate shows with people that, you know, I look up to. So kind of crazy. I want to talk about your podcast that you did with Eddie last week, because, I, it's funny, I, Eddie had, we follow each other on social media, and he had interviewed you for a print article a few years ago, I think, and, um, but the two of you met in Spain at, at that, <laughs> the academy that he said made you really go, oh my god, I hate this. Um, well, it was, it was partially the academy, but partially how you guys handled that, so. Yeah, yeah, it was not be our fair. best parenting moment, um. But you and Eddie stayed in touch. Eddie's from Mexico and he also played college tennis and he's now doing this podcast and he interviewed you for that. And what I, one of the things I found really interesting was um, seeing the comments on the podcast of your music con contacts, your music connections who had no idea about your tennis life at all. Right. They were like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you played tennis. You know, we'll have to get out and hit some time or whatever. And, and some of, I was some of those laughing. guys are like world touring DJs. You don't even know. Right. Well, I'm still learning about, about the house music world, yeah. but yeah. Um, so where is tennis going to be in your life long-term? Do you think if, if it's going to be in your life long-term? Uh, nowhere for the time being. Um, I mean, I have no desire to play, uh, especially not competitively. Like right. I, I've kind of flipped and it's not just tennis. It's kind of sports in general. I just kind of scoff at now. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why are you using all your time for that? Um, so for the time being, for the foreseeable future, it's nowhere. Um, the next time I'll play tennis is with Jack uh, we've got that, we've got a deal running that, you know, the next time either of us picks up a rack, it'll be with each other. 
And Jack is my former roommate at Boise State and one of my best friends who now lives in London. Um, kind of former roommate same. and teammate. You'll yeah, play former, together at Boise former State. Former roommate yeah. and teammate and kind of in the same position. Hates it now too. And so we've, we've made the deal that next time either of us picks up a racket, we'll be with each other. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, it's just kind of like an artifact from my past. It's kind of like, it's funny. To me, it's it's like a funny talking point. It's not, I would never talk about it like, oh, I did that and I achieved that. It's like, yeah, like, look where I am now. Isn't it kind of funny to look at what I was? Except you did achieve something pretty incredible. Um, you worked hard at something. Well, which is what I'm saying. I w- that's just, I would never speak about that is what I'm saying. Right. You think at some point you'll get to the place where you look back on it and can feel proud of what you accomplished? I am proud of what I accomplished. Like, it, yeah, I got to an elite level. I did what I said I was going to do. And I got over a lot of uh, obstacles in the way. Um, so, yeah, I am proud of it. But that doesn't just because I'm proud of what I did doesn't necessarily mean I want it to be part of my identity. Like, I don't I don't I don't view tennis players as anything that I want to be at least the ones I know um so and you know I was treated differently as a tennis player than as a DJ and there's it's a no-brainer for me that I wouldn't want to be you know I wouldn't want that kind of stapled on or carried with me because like it just there's always going to be kind of a negative aspect to it too for you I I mean I think it one of the things you just said is, is what's interesting to me and, and, you know, having your identity wrapped up in being a tennis player. And it's something I've written about and talked about quite a bit over the years is, you know, being really careful that as we raise our kids in this sport, that they aren't the sport, right? They are much more than right. just a tennis player. And Which is a good parenting move, a bad tennis parenting move. Because, because, like, because I'm, I'm more aware than all the kids who were taught to be their sport. You know, they were able to stay in tennis and stay tunnel vision looking at tennis. And then, you know, they pop out of pop out of college and then they're screwed. But as a parent, like a parent move doing that, you've, you've allowed me to kind of see past that and that it's not the only thing out there and be able to hone in on other skills, which helped to the tennis, but not, were not necessarily because of the tennis. Hmm. Interesting. I, I think that's a big challenge for parents. You know, we worry that we're investing all this time and money and whatever in helping our kids reach whatever their goal is in the sport. Um, we want to avoid having them burn out in the sport because that's disappointing. You know, if if you had come to me at age 15 and said, I'm ready to quit, um, I can tell you I would have been really sad when you did it in college. I was really sad. You know, it, it was, it was a hard thing to hear. I'm pretty sure I did it. Like, I'm pretty sure I did that multiple times from like ages 15 to 19. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of, and a, it was always a fight. Yeah. It was a fight. And then you, I don't know whether you saw the light or you were just, throwing your hands up and saying, I'll do what you want. It makes life easier. I'm not sure which, which is the truth of what happened, but, um, but what I find difficult from the parent side, and I, I don't know if you'll remember this, but your junior year, 
of high school, one of your teammates and buddies um, who was a year ahead of you announced that he was not going to play tennis in college. He was going to go to college and join a frat and have the college life, but he had been a really good player. Yeah. And, um, and you and I both were like, God, we, how, why is he doing that? He's worked so hard all these years. Why would he stop playing now? And looking back, you know, with my hindsight, that was probably a really good decision on his part. Well, it's, it's funny though, because I, 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 I'm almost, I don't really keep in touch with him, but like the last time I saw, like, I'm pretty sure he was like playing not like competitively, but like Mm -hmm. would get out and play, which is the difference. He probably has some regrets of doing that. Whereas I went in, found out I hated it. And now I have no regrets of quitting. Right. You know, he, uh, he probably like, I, can't speak for him obviously but like that's what i've seen with other guys you know they they leave early then they're gonna have the thoughts of what if you Mm -hmm. know if you just do it and you hate it then you quit then you're not gonna have that what if it's always like oh thank god (laughs) but at the same time if he's still playing tennis and you're not like what's the right call there you know and i feel like at some point in the future you'll pick up a racket whether it's with jack or whether if it's with your uncle or with a buddy or when you have kids or whatever, but they will not play tennis. Just on not, record. not at that. And that was going to be my next question. You don't think you would guide your kid. What Absolutely sports, not. sports in general, if they want to play, but they will. Wait, you cut out uh, there. Wait, you cut out there for a second. So you said if they want to play, what? If they want to play sports, they can, but they will not play tennis. Like I, like of course if they're like dying to play tennis then sure but i'm not going to promote it and i'll be very honest about my experience about it with them so i don't i don't see why they would want to do you think there's a difference in playing at an elite level like you came up versus the kids who just played high school tennis for fun and you know maybe went out Absolutely. on the courts and Absolutely. yeah okay so i mean would you be okay with that Sure, if they want to just do it as a hobby, but I'm assuming they're going to have obsessive personalities like me and kind of <laughs> destroy the ability Gee. to have hobbies. Uh, you still have hobbies. <laughs> you do? No? I, I kind of, I, I like, music turned in was a hobby and then I right. dove kind of headfirst into it. And now it's like a side job, so. Right. And hopefully one day we'll be not a side job if right. things go well, right? Right. And just because it's not a hobby doesn't mean I don't love it. But just right. saying, like, if yeah, if they want to play tennis as a hobby, go for it. But I highly doubt that they would want to play tennis competitively after listening to me. <laughs> you may change. You don't know. But right now you don't see it as happening. I, I mean, I respect that. I do. It, it won't. Like, I can guarantee you, I'm a 23-year-old man. Like, I, I know my thoughts on growing up playing tennis and, you know, play a sport competitively. Sure, if that's what you want to do. I'll be honest about playing competitive sports, too. Like, I think it's silly. But if you want to play a sport competitively, go for it. Just, I think all of them are better options than tennis. You felt like it was t- tough because of the individual nature of it? Because of what? Like, why is it different 
than playing, let's say, soccer at a high level? Well, first of all, you know, just growing up as a, you know, like as a young boy, like you're, you're, you're viewed by your peers in like kind of a disrespectful manner for being a tennis player. Uh, You know, like tennis is not not perceived as a guy sport growing up. Uh, You know, it's, it's perceived as a wussy sport. Um, even though, you know, if you look at statistics on paper, like I used to argue with people till, you know, their ear would fall off, uh, to a certain extent until I realized that people just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't understand, but tennis requires a lot more than every other sport, basically. Uh, you know, the physical aspect, the actual distance you're running in a match, uh, you know, the workouts required, the commitment afterwards, like it's just everything. Um, so, you know, y- you'd get into all these kind of petty arguments growing up with people who just like were soccer players, for instance. And, you know, soccer is on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you're a soccer player, you're like, ooh, he's a soccer player. But if tennis, it's like, ugh. So, you know, <laughs> that's like, that's one piece of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, like, I don't know. It- it's kind of a toxic sport to be in from what I- all every experience that I've seen, you know, unless you're like top of the top, it's a toxic sport. It's a, because why the the dynamics of the recruiting, the dynamics of being in tournaments, the gossip, like part of that I'm sure was due to being in the South, but you know, I think it is general tennis thing as well that, you know, look at the demographic, Uh, you know, it's a lot of rich white kids, which, you know, I am, but I don't identify as like uh, one of those stuck up rich white kids that I would play tennis with, you know, it's, and then the parents behind that, it's like, it's a whole thing. It's very like a bunch of cults, a bunch of little cults together. I don't know. That's harsh. Yeah. That's how, that's how it was though. I mean, like it was terrible. Think of all the, like the arguments that we would get into, like the things I would say to parents, the things parents would say to me, like, you remember all that? Like I do. tournaments after losses, yeah. after like people would cheat. Like, I mean, it's horrible. That was the other thing is like, kind of, kind of goes back to how people view it. It doesn't get much respect in terms of like actual respect, but also attention money wise. So, you know, you're playing all these high level tournaments with, you know, 85 year old refs who can't see a line to save their life yet. They're deciding, you know, a crucial point, uh, you know, in a, in a tournament that you've trained the last six months for. Right. I mean, that doesn't happen in any, that doesn't happen in any other sport. Like, yes, there are referees, but like they're people who are actually in the sport and, you know, they're young can see, and there's, they're being paid. Like all the refs at tournaments are like volunteers basically. Um, so there's not, there's not really anything, to keep everything in order and the rules of the game are just stupid. Like you gotta be, <laughs> oh, it, it is. I mean, it, it goes, it goes back to, it goes like, it's just viewed in a different way. And it's partially because of the rules of tennis. You know, you're not allowed to be yourself on a tennis court. You get fined for throwing your own tennis racket. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Like that's your $200 racket. If you want to throw it, throw it. Why are you going to get suspension points that might boot you out of the system? Right. 
Well, that doesn't happen in other sports is what I'm saying. I don't know enough about other sports to know if that's true, but I will say, you know, tennis has a history of being a gentleman's sport, right? So a white gentleman's sport. True. Um, But there were particular rules and things etiquette wise and whatever that have always traditionally been part of the sport. And, I think, you know, I agree with you that some of the rules are outdated and and need to be changed. And I think that's one of the things that's happening, honestly, right now with COVID-19 shutting everything down. There's a lot of conversation around what needs to change to make the sport more attractive and relevant and all of that to draw more people in. But I, I think there are a lot of kids that you know, came up feeling like you felt and, you know, where they felt like their personalities were being stifled, where um, they were put in situations where things were taken out of their control, even though they had put the effort into, you know, competing and, and, and you were being asked to compete at this high level yet to, you know, maintain this emotional disconnect from it which is yeah. counterintuitive right yeah. um so and i think a that's good, part a good of it point too. on that is like how how filtered you have to be on the court and right. like in terms of just even cussing like any other sport like they they monetize off that in football and baseball like they'll put, they'll mic up the players and create a whole series off of that right like, like that's a thing like it's appeal to the public tennis you know you yell hell you're going to get dinged and it's going to be maybe one, maybe three suspension points. It's just like, I don't know. And especially in the South too, you'd say Jesus and you'd get a, a suspension point. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was rough out there. And for somebody who like you grew up in a house where right. we didn't filter, um, we don't filter so right. much. Um, that was especially challenging, I think, and frustrating because Which goes on what you're saying about kind of stifling people's personalities. Right. And I, you know, I think, you know, we had a home where freedom of expression was encouraged um, and not necessarily punished. Sometimes you would get in trouble for certain things, but it was more, you know, we, we encouraged y'all to express yourselves in whatever way worked, as long as you weren't hurting anybody and um, junior tennis and to be passionate for sure. And junior tennis at the time you were playing and, and even still, I suppose um, doesn't really allow that to happen so much, Um, which, which does make it tough for, for somebody who does have that, you know, kind of internal, um, exuberance that doesn't want to hold it in. And listen, I, I will be a leader sport. That's just like the plainest way to put it. You have to be a sheep to play tennis at that level. You're always, you're always following some rules that don't apply to the outside world. If you're playing tennis, like you step outside and you're like, Oh wow, this is different. I mean, yes and no, but I, I think that part of it too is, you know, for somebody like you and for for somebody like me who has trouble saying, you know, that rule is dumb, but I'm going to follow it anyway because it's the rule. Um, 
you and I aren't good at that, right? We say the rule is dumb and then we go on to explain why the rule is dumb and, you know, and, and decide we're not going to follow it um, because it's dumb. Um, it, it makes things difficult in a sport like tennis where there are specific rules that you have to follow and not just rules of play, but rules of behavior and rules of how to comport yourself on the court and things like that. Right. Um and I, you know, I think some people thrive on that and, and for them, it's a great choice, but maybe you would have been better served playing something different or doing something different with your time growing up. I don't know. I feel like growing up in sports has, you know, made you health conscious. Um, you know, you, you take pretty decent care of yourself most of the time. Um, it has, it has helped you hone your competitive spirit and your desire to be the best at whatever it is you are looking to do. It, I feel like it helped you because you always had goals with your tennis and, you know, were able to work toward those goals. Um, and that's helped you in your music. You have goals with that and with your work. So, you know, I think there are some positives that come of it. I know it's funny because I've been hesitant to have you come on and talk. And before we went on air, you know, you asked me, how honest do you want me to be on this? And I said, I want you to be honest. I think it's important for people to hear your story and your side of things coming up in the sport, understanding that your college experience wasn't the fairy tale college experience that we were led to believe it could be um, and that that's colored some things and that you know you've found some other interests along the way that it that kind of steered you in a different direction which in my opinion is positive I I'm I love the man you've become I love the passions you're pursuing um, I'm proud of your success in your job and I'm proud of the way you went about getting your job. Um, and I, you know, so I think somebody just commented that this is sad listening to you, but I don't, I don't think it's sad. I think Where do you it's, see comments? Um, if you're on Facebook, you can see them. Um, I don't know where you are, but, um, but I, I don't see, that's, view it that's, as, that's, that's the issue that, well, that's, that's the funny thing right there is that, you know, tennis people are so in their bubble that they want to reject this type of stuff. They don't want to hear it. Like, and it's, but I, it's actually but that's pretty common. It's but I think common. it's, a, yes. Yeah. And I think it's important. And that's why I'm saying I, when you asked me how honest and I said, be honest, this is why, because I think it's, I think people need to hear your story and understand, you know, what, your experience was in the sport. It doesn't mean everybody's experience is that way, but um, I don't view your story as a sad story. I view it as a really positive story because look what you're doing now, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't, you're I wouldn't change a thing. Like, like looking back, like, yeah, I'm going to be brutally honest and say I didn't enjoy it. And that, you know, overall my experience was not great, but like, I'm happy where I am now. And I believe that I wouldn't be where I am now with the mental mentality I have now, if it weren't for getting over that, that mm -hmm. hump, which was tennis, you know, 
just because like i don't know it's just like a hardship that you have to come over that's how i view it well, <laughs> it was it like was... it was like a, it was a long experience and you know you grow from every single experience you have whether it be good or bad and the longer the more fruitful the the growth is going to be you know absolutely absolutely so. and i feel like especially what you went through in college and you know having a rough freshman year and having your parents tell you they're not going to continue to fund your college experience without the tennis and you figuring out how to transfer and doing the things you did to get yourself back on your feet, all are things that have served you already and will continue to serve you in your life. And it, it stunk at the time. I mean, it was miserable going through some of that stuff for you and for us, but I think we've all grown from it and learned from it and, like I said, I, I think, you know, the lessons you gleaned from your tennis and your school and transferring and your coaching relationships, good ones and the bad ones, um, have all, like you said, made you into who you are. Yeah. And, and that person is someone that I'm proud to call my kids. So, Thanks. you know, no, you're welcome. I think, I think, you know, it's just that all, I don't know. It's hard to put it into words, but I feel like the weight of the experiences that I've been through were heavier and earlier than a lot of my peers will experience the same type of feeling. I'm not saying the actual experience of transferring and, you know, doing this and that was like so crazy. It's not like there was a big death or like a big injury I had to overcome or some like huge like in the grand scheme of things terrible thing you know mm -hmm. but i feel like how those things would affect somebody the stuff that i went through affected me and i kind of grew in that same way and earlier so it kind of came out to my benefit to go through all that crap right right all right well let's wind this up because i told you 45 minutes and it's been over an hour <laughs> so um if people want to listen to your music tell them how to find you uh, you can look up soundcloud.com slash stone music with a Z, or you can go to my Twitter and Instagram, which is uh, it's slash Morgan Stone with three E's, and all the links to all my music will be there. Okay. And they're all over my social media too, because I always retweet and repost and <laughs> reshare all your stuff, right? Yep. All over your page as well. <laughs> Well, thanks for doing this. I know you have to get back to work and hopefully your boss hasn't been keeping a stopwatch on you for your lunch break. Yeah, let's hope not. But thanks <laughs> for having me. Glad to, glad to talk. Yeah. Well, thanks those of you who tuned in. I, I hope you found this enlightening or helpful in some way. And I hope you don't consider it sad. I don't. Uh, did you see the comments after? They're like, yeah. Selfie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it was a good conversation to have and I appreciate you taking time to do it and I miss you. I'll be happy to see you again when all this garbage is over. Yeah. I miss you too. Okay. And you know, thanks for being a good parent and you know, it's cool what you're doing with the blog. Thanks. All yeah. right. Love you. Mwah. Love you too. Bye. All right. Bye. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. 
For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.